0: Hello, everyone. Today we have a special guest with us, an expert guest, and in a conversation that we think is something you've all been thirsting for. And if you haven't exactly known you've been thirsting for it, you're going to want to enrich your mind and you actually feel seen and heard because you know that's what we love to do on this podcast. So stick with us.
1: When you become a mom, you never imagine your child getting an autism diagnosis. It feels like your dreams have shattered, like a framed photograph falling off your mantle, exploding into a thousand pieces. But instead of trying to glue those pieces back together, this community of moms is here to help you build a new dream, a better one. So join in the conversation as us moms talk
0: autism. Okay, so um, we have had many conversations on our podcast regarding mental health and self-care in different capacities. We've had other expert guests on to elaborate or maybe just focus on one aspect or another regarding that. We as a group have talked about our personally lived experiences and how we cope and things we've put in place. Um, we all have, every single one of us, all four of us have struggled with severe trauma, either prior to even walking this path of, of being, um, being parents to children that have exceptionalities and disabilities. Um, but while in this space and, and, we've talked about before about finding your people and finding the right support and resources. So we are very proud to say that we feel like we have found just the right person for all of us. Um, she may have quite increased caseload after, after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so be, be prepared to delegate and redirect people to other resources if needed. Uh, but Dr. Uh, Dr. Taylor Day is a psychologist who works directly with families who have children with disabilities. Um, herself, also being a child that grew up as a sibling to a child with autism. So, she has personally lived experience herself growing up, as well as now being in this space as a professional and expert. So, with that being said, I'm going to turn it over to you, Dr. Tay. Um, and oh, and in case anyone hasn't figured out that it is Jean today, I am hosting along with, (laughs) with Shannon. We are, we we are your lovely hosts, uh, for today. And so let's, um, yeah, let's hear from Dr. Tay. Let's, we're, we're big fans of her and she's big fans of
1: I us, am so. such a big fan. I discovered this podcast quite a while ago and just love what y'all do. I think it is so incredibly important. And thank you so much for having me here today. I, I'm i just really excited to be here and to be having this conversation. Like Jean said, um, I'm a licensed child psychologist. What's unique with my practice um, is that I – am. Predominantly telehealth. I'm based out of Pennsylvania, but the way psychology works, um, I'm actually able to practice in 40 states currently, which is you know definitely allowing me to connect with so many different families, and I absolutely love it. And you know, I think we're going to get more into this, but like Jean said, um, I grew up with a brother who was diagnosed when he was 23 months of age, but we're 12 years or 10 years apart, so I was 12 when he was diagnosed so i was very aware of what was going on and i think it very quickly shaped me and shaped what i wanted to do and so even going into college i was like i know i want to work in the autism field um you know and in my graduate training, I worked with many different focuses and all of that. But autism has always been the passion. It's always where I've come home to. And so largely, you know, my practice is designed for autistic children and their families.
0: That is amazing. Um, it, is, it is quite a, a small niche in the mental health care field that is not filled I know there is a huge thirsting desire for it. If you don't understand, if a a clinician doesn't have understanding of what the care map and the anatomy of is to be a family, let alone an individual as well with, with autism, they are using, they're just relying and leaning into, you know, family systems theory that does not apply to, you know, to our circumstances are very unique and nuanced challenging circumstances. So it's if, and when possible, if you can seek out a provider that can offer that level of support that is, can be life-changing for you. And we've actually talked about that on the podcast. Brittany actually um, had talked about that on our peer to peer episode about her actually. And before finding us, for finding us four fabulous or three fabulous women. She, um, had that, that level of support, um, and how, how incredibly helpful, uh, that was for her. So, um, so I guess what, um, with your your clinical focus is just more, it is definitely specific to, to children with all or families that have children with autism. Yeah. Is that correct? And I assume again, because autism also has other, many kids that have autism have other comorbidities as well. Um, do you find yourself, you know, it operating from, you know, having
1: to Keep in mind those. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's one of the advantages of having, you know, broad training and specialized training in autism. You know, when doing, I'll do diagnostic evaluations. And it's not a family just coming to me saying yes or no, is this autism? If it's not autism, we need to figure out what's going on. If it is autism, are there these co-occurring, you know, disabilities going along with it or co-occurring, you know, mental health experiences, ADHD, super common, anxiety, super common. And interestingly, um, One of the things that I have started to notice in my practice is um, the PDA profile, pathological demand avoidance. Um, That has been a very, very common referral, both on the assessment side and the therapy side right now. And, you know, I think so often these kids that have the co occurring PDA profile are diagnosed as having like oppositional defiant disorder, and it's not understanding the function of the behavior, what's exactly happening. And then also how we need to support it. So definitely taking a broad approach, but specializing in working with autistic children and a unique thing of my practice too, because of my own experience growing up, I was like, so much care focuses on the autistic child, which is incredibly, incredibly important. And what about the family that's surrounding them? How do we support the family in navigating all of this as well? And so I do take more of a family-based approach um, in my, especially in my therapy services to make sure that the whole family is getting the support they need.
0: So regarding the PDA, I'm mm-hmm. really glad that you brought that up, actually. So There isn't really, is there diagnostic criteria in the DSM that applies?
1: Yeah. And this is where, you know, I think families have a hard time being able to get a provider that understands this because it is not in our DSM. So the way that I go about it, you know, if it's in a therapeutic setting, we're going to talk a lot about it. But if I'm doing the actual diagnostic piece, you know, off, Almost, I shouldn't say almost always, but the large, large majority of um, those with PDA also present with high masking autism. And so these are also the kids that are often getting missed in the diagnostic process. Um, and so, a lot of times it's diagnosing autism, and I will write in the report with the PDA profile explaining what that is. Um, and then a lot of times it, it's on a case by case basis, but I'll put some sort of anxiety disorder as well. Um, like I had a four year old recently, and put in other specified anxiety disorder. So that way, if someone in the the medical community who has more of the medical model's focus gets this, they can understand it a little bit more, and they're going to be more willing to accept it by putting, you know, an anxiety diagnosis. And it, it fits for, you know, that criteria as well.
0: And have you, have you experienced pushback with the health insurance? Well, I know you are not a health insurance carrier, but those parents, if they decide to file, have those parents reported back to you? um that they've had any difficulty from health.
1: Insurance. Yeah, um so I will say I haven't gotten any reports back but this has been like a newer phenomenon that mm-hmm. I've been, you know, kind of attracting. I think All it's right. one of those things as soon as I started talking about PDA on social media and on my podcast that then parents mm-hmm. were like wait a minute, either what is this, start doing research, or, oh my gosh, I've been researching this and haven't been able to find a provider. But what I will say, this is one of the reasons on the health insurance side, I mean, usually you have that autism diagnosis code, so usually that's sufficient. Um, But then, like I said, you know, Classifying it as an other specified anxiety disorder, I feel like matches more on to the PDA experience that the body goes into this fight or flight mode in response to demands or perceived loss of autonomy. Anxiety fits better for that than like the ODD diagnosis. I also think the ODD diagnosis comes with a lot of assumptions that aren't usually helpful.
0: Oh, you were segued right into my next question, I or <laughs> co- question and comment. So, um, I, uh, you know, I, I work as a, a trustee in my school district and I talk to a lot of our special education parents or parents that have students, special education services. And, um, they have said, cause I've asked about their, their child's other comorbidities and, they're like, oh well, he also has ODD, but I won't indicate that in in his IEP. And this happened. This is like a handful of mm-hmm. kids, you know, parents that have said to me they don't want that because of the lens and the filter that comes along with that, you know, in school language the eligibility process. You know, that also obviously corresponds into the diagnostic right. They don't. Mm-hmm. They don't want to see it. You know they're so scared about how it's perceived, and that their child is automatically going to be perceived as, mm-hmm. oh, well, this is a bad kid, or I don't want this kid. Um, just the presumptions um, or lack of competence that 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 may take place as a result of it, and and that's just being a broker of honest conversation around that. And I, I so I, I really that was amazing that you brought that up because. You know, if and when possible, especially from, and I, I'm saying this from an educator standpoint, um, if when and when possible, I always am, and as a mentor telling families to have everything indicated in that IEP, because that's the only way you're going to get the supports that you need. If at all possible, and I don't know if you have served as providing, um, you know, Expert weigh in or support or advocacy alongside parents during that mm-hmm. that I during that IEP conversation um, that can help maybe expand and elaborate on that. So if obviously for the school they're not going to accept PDA, right? They may accept the anxiety piece. Right. They may accept that, and they they may even vote for that. Um, and but but they actually might need the ODD in order to qualify for getting a behavioral improvement plan. And that also has a connotation. But honestly, if you don't have one and something happens, then your child is going to be processed lawfully and there's not going to be protections in place for them if something does happen, if there's an incident and there's not a a behavior intervention plan, which basically I refer to as a response system and also being proactive. Here's the things you don't do to instigate to prevent the behavior. And then when the behavior happens, this is a plan that's in place of how to properly respond to it. So I'm I'm saying that to have, it's that collaborative conversation with you, hopefully you're able to, to be that liaison for those parents. Or do you have those kind of conversations
1: with them, kind of encouraging them, pushing them along that pathway? Yeah. Or what is your... I mean, all the time. I think, you know, on the evaluation side, we're talking about – and I will even include recommendations that, you know, detail some of this and talk about getting an IEP, all of that. On the therapeutic side, I include care coordination as part of – the services that I offer because of this reason, right? That going into an IEP meeting, how do you advocate for your kid? It's hard. It's really emotional. And also I will say, I wish it wasn't like this, but, and I say this to parents all the time, that sometimes something coming from me versus them, you know, like the school system or other systems will take it much more seriously than sometimes they will from the parent. So I love being part of that advocacy team. But I also also agree, you know, I am a huge proponent of like, I like to think of IEPs a lot of times. Sometimes it's like we need to use them actively, but even if we're not using them actively, to have it there as that safety net, I think can be really, really helpful and important because of how slow the process is. You're not going to be able to get an IEP in place usually in response to something and then, you know, see it kind of happen quickly. So I love having it there. But I think the biggest thing, you know, I would say it'd be a case by case basis, you know, how you would advocate for it, but helping the educational team to understand the function of your child's behaviors becomes so incredibly important because I think otherwise, you know, they, they get this rap that they're the bad kid. Or I actually have a case right now I'm doing an evaluation. This is actually not an autism evaluation. Every once in a while, I'll make exceptions. It's an ADHD evaluation. And parents just keep getting email after email after email about this kid and how you know basically bad he is in class. And the parents are like, this is overwhelming. And it's really interesting. One of the emails from the teacher explicitly said, you know, I don't think that it's that he's bored. I think he's doing this intentionally. What's really fascinating is we tested his IQ. There's no way he's not bored um, on his nonverbal IQ. Like, it was in the very, very high range, like 99th percentile. So, of course, this kid is bored in first grade and doesn't know how to entertain himself, you know? And so it's easy to be like, oh, he's purposely challenging the boundaries here versus, okay, let's actually understand what's going on and then develop a plan around that. And so, can we get that in writing with? with an IEP or a 504, I think that's ideal. If not, at least having these conversations with your child's teacher, how can we collaborate together, I think becomes really important.
0: Absolutely. That's, that is totally key. You hit the nail on the head on many little, um, concepts there. Um, I wanted to, um, move over to another part of, um, your mm-hmm. clinical focus and what you work with or observe in families. And we noticed this again in ourselves. And I kind of hinted this, you know, in the, in the hook of this, of this episode is that we can get in really bad seasons and cycles with our kids and um, whatever we might be experiencing either medically or behaviorally. And it's happening at an incessant um, pace and not letting up there's no there's no sign of reprieve no matter you know what maybe different diff, like either it's like you know therapeutically you know or it's done you know prescriptively through medication or it could be done again with all the other different, um, interdisciplinaries of, of, again, using mechanisms in your child's IEP or if you have respite work, whatever it is, and you're just not getting that. And parents find themselves their, their mental health is depleting and they're kind of starting to get in what I call kind of like the cycle of violence of, of post-traumatic stress. And, I've read that criteria and I've read it a lot. It's come up a lot where it's saying, you know, the, the stress that a special needs parent or a parent to a child with autism or behavioral issues or severe medical needs is equivalent to, you know, um, any of our armed forces fighting, you know, in the military. You know, those are pretty serious claims and correlations to draw when you think about it. And most people in general are not thinking about how that, how a parent could possibly be experiencing that. Um, I've witnessed uh, almost every single one of us, um, on our podcast go through it. I know I had myself had had a diagnosis, diagnosis of, um, PTSD and my last care, um, clinician that I had was giving me the saying, yes, I definitely see, but but because, and if you can elaborate on is that chronic PTSD and and that diagnostic criteria right now is not necessarily finding itself um, to land, to be assigned to us in the roles that we have. If you can kind of elaborate, like kind of like what you see, what you observe, what you experience, and then, you know, how it parlays the DSM, that would be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think one of the things is we don't often talk about this. I know you guys talk about this on this podcast quite a lot about you know the parental experience and all of this. But one of the things that happens, and I see this time and time again in doing diagnostic feedback, and I've actually shifted how I do diagnostic feedback in response to this too You know, through my training, is parents go into action mode of, okay, you're telling me my kid has autism, what do I need to do? And what I see goes hand-in-hand with that action mode. So it starts early, it starts often. It might even start before the diagnosis ever happens. Think about how many times, if this was your experience, you were told no, that you're crazy, that that couldn't be possible, there's no way your child is autistic, all of these things. So the foundation's already building. And then you get the diagnosis and it's like, okay, what do we do? You hop into action mode. Well, action mode often comes with emotion. Emotional suppression, of just kind of pushing it down because there's not time and space for those emotions. And then there's this cumulative effect that happens over time. And so I think this is one of the reasons, one, we don't often talk about it, but two, we don't often see, you know, any sort of diagnosis come for parents following their child's autism diagnosis is well they're also not always seeking help and you know going to a therapist and you know making space for their own their own needs but i also think because it's this cumulative effect it's not this like one thing that happens that creates this you know PTSD, so to speak, reaction in regard to it. It's not like automatically your child gets the diagnosis and then you're having all the symptom criteria of PTSD come up. It's Again, it's it's building slowly, I think, over time. And I think a lot of it is our medical system does contribute to this where, you know, not seeing and hearing parents telling parents, no, you can only do it this way or you're wrong and parents are having to fight tooth and nail over and over and over again. To get the supports they need, school—I mean, school—can be a similar experience as well, and so I think that is really contributing to the fact that we don't talk about this a lot. I think it's not something that's often recognized. Um, but what is also complicating it is in the United States we use the DSM five, um, the diagnostic. Diagnostic Statistical Manual Fifth Edition, and we're in the re- the text revision version, but it literally says as part of the criteria that in order to meet criteria for PTSD, it has to be related to you know areas. Um, I'm trying to. Sorry, I'm scrolling. <laughs> um, in terms of areas related to actual or threatened death, serious injury, or sexual violence. And you have to have that initial criteria before we're looking at symptoms. Well, an autism diagnosis doesn't fit in that, you know, clearly. So I think that's complicating it. Um, and then you asked about um, chronic PTSD, so CPTSD. Um you know, that's recognized in what we call the ICD-11. So this is the worldwide version of how things are diagnosed. Just in the US, we use the DSM-5. And so there are different criteria in the ICD in terms of how PTSD is diagnosed. And then they also added the CPTSD. Because I think what they were I don't know, I haven't researched the whole like etiology of it, but I think they're they're realizing that there's things being missed by this PTSD criteria and that, you know, it needs to be expanded so that people can get proper treatment. So one, one other thing then I'll say about this though is even if you're not meeting the technical criteria, you absolutely can be Um, experiencing all the different symptoms that come with it, you know, like the chronic worry that happens. How many times are you thinking about your child's future and everything that you need to organize and plan and all of that? You know, it's, it's this constant worry that happens. How much are you, you know, potentially like not sleeping at night because your body can't relax. It's in fight or flight mode. You're thinking about all the things that you have to do for the day. You know, how many times too are you potentially even like avoiding talking about your own emotions related to this? And A lot of times it comes from, there's just not space for this, right? I need to focus on what my child needs. And so you might be experiencing all these different ways and different, you know, symptoms that correspond with PTSD. But then the irony is you also then might be shut down by the medical system of being like, no, you don't meet criteria for PTSD, which again adds to that cumulative effect of what you're experiencing. Take to church. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the whole not being acknowledged for
0: what it is, um, naming what's going on with us, which is a huge part of the deal. And so many parents don't know that the, the anxiety and the hypervigilance, the constant being constantly in that frame of mind of being like, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to make sure mm-hmm. up or, you know, over-operating basically over compensating for things. Um, the, and the, and the irritability, they don't know that those are all symptoms of that. They don't know. And it's, and it's hard because at any given point, any parent can experience that it's, it's the duration and the frequency right. in which it occurs. And like you said, it's this buildup. It's, it may have not been at that caliber and that level kind of when you started, but we've talked about this on our, on our podcast, um, in our grief series on the sixth installment, which was the wheel of adaptation. Most of us really stay in the first two wheels of the Venn diagram, which is the searching and survival mode. It's very rare that we kind of get out of that and we kind of always are getting kicked back into it for one reason or another. Um, and when that is even though you're becoming more adaptive with maybe your grief aspect of it, your trauma response, you're, you're rewiring yourself. You've, you've rewired the way that you show up in life, the way you respond. And and we've talked about that as well is that then Mm -hmm. that operating system and that lens is driving the way we're making decisions. It's driving the way we're showing up to our kids, IEP meetings to our medical team meetings Um, The way we perceive a denial, um, anything that's kind of going against the grain of where we are literally just trying to get to some kind of level ground to get Mm. some reprieve, you know, without taking a million steps backwards, because we have to deal with that too. There's so much unanticipated that happens. And so I feel like us having this conversation and having you on to elaborate on just the pathway to it you know, like medically, um, what it's like kind of in, when, when you're in it and, and some of the things, obviously when if when, and if it's not being accepted from the medical community, um, what parents or, and clinicians can do in, you know, as like a, you know, workaround effect to still kind of give some type of wraparound services to those families that are needing that, there's still a level of acknowledgement you are able to do as a clinician, as as I'm perceiving it, to be in those in those discussions and those conversations. It's just getting it to be legitimately accepted is a whole nother yeah. bag of donuts. We need to get you to be really friendly with Dr. <laughs> Fred Volk.
1: Um- You know, one thing I wanted to comment on, because I think this is an important conceptualization in all of this too, and I talk about this a lot, is the grief and the hypervigilance and all of this. It is not your child's fault, right? We're not saying that you're grieving them. It's that our systems aren't supportive of you being able to parent the way that you want to, of your child being able to live the way that they want to. And so that it's a lot of that external, you know, the external situations that are causing this. It's not that your child is causing your PTSD Um, because I know, and I know so many parents listening to this, like absolutely love their child wholeheartedly. And so there might even be some resistance listening to this, like, no, 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 I don't have PTSD because what would that mean? And It's Again, it's a failure of the systems that is causing this. It is not your child causing this. And I also think that that can be a block sometimes for parents seeking help themselves is they don't want to seem like they're just complaining about their child or trying to pin it as the reason that they're feeling this way. And I just want to clearly separate that, you know, like that unconditional love can still be there. And that is actually likely one of the reasons that you're experiencing so much is because you love and care for your child so, so much that you're willing to do absolutely anything, but then you're getting resistance after resistance after resistance from the systems. And we live in a very neurotypical world. Our world was not set up for autistic individuals. And I think we're slowly starting to see that shift, but it's slow. Right. Right.
0: The casted term definitely would be ableism. We live in a, you know, very ableist society. The other prong, you know, we talked about the institutions and uh, systems that, that they're environmentally impacting all of us, like medically and educationally. But it's also, again, it's our community, it's our friends, it's our family. And when you're not getting that support from them and, and knowing what their responses are going Mm -hmm. to be, or even when you go out to public, you know, in public and dealing with public situations. I know I just recently had to deal with that myself and currently still working through it with my daughter's gymnastics gym. Um, it's a huge problem. Um, it's, it's a massively huge problem. And it was very trigger. I mean, I literally became unhinged and I couldn't breathe and I was panicked. And I couldn't, I started to even lose the ability to in- intellectualize and articulate exactly what it was that was happening and why this was Mm -hmm. wrong. Um, That response system right there told me a lot of things where I thought I had healed a lot of things in myself that were like, Oh, you are not at all. Um, (laughs) And I want to actually draw this around to, you know, Shannon right now on her platform is being very open about what, what she's experiencing in her body as she's going through what, and experiencing and fielding and mitigating what's going on with her daughter and where Gracie is right now. Um, and I think it's very timely for this conversation. Mm-hmm. Even even when you started out, Dr. Tay, when you were like, oh, when parents go into action mode, oh my gosh, if you could go back and listen to every single one of our stories on the podcast, and specifically Shannon and Brittany, who are like, well, I know, mm-hmm. I just need to know what I need mm-hmm. to do. I just, I need to go into yeah, need I, need try I need to. I need to know. What I need to do. Okay, <laughs> like you're talking about, like total, like a type drive. They were like the. Po- <laughs> I mean, I was too, but I don't. Per- I didn't portray that necessarily in my story that same way that that they deliver it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's that's Shannon. So Shannon, do you, do you mind like talking a little bit about kind of no. like, you know, where you, where you are, what's going on things that you're doing to even like, I think that's important is that while we're walking this conversation is recognizing what's going on with ourselves and trying to mm-hmm. cope what that looks like.
2: Yeah. I'm glad that my complete breakdown is time for this <laughs> podcast episode. <laughs> makes, makes for great content. Um, Well, it's funny because, you know, I had just been dealing over the last year of just like feeling exhausted. My anxiety is worse, like working out extremely hard, nothing changing. Um, I have a whole fitness background and I'm not even going to dive into that, but just like, it was very noticeable that things were not right. And I was constantly stressed and did a ton of testing that, um, you know, unfortunately one is not covered by any insurance. So it's not available to some of our community because of that, because it's expensive and, um, ended up finding out that I was in adrenal fatigue. And then of course, depending on who you talk to, if you're a Western medicine doctor, they're not mm-hmm. going to acknowledge that, but a naturopath will. So, you know, that sort of thing, but, um, in having to just really completely dial back everything that I had been doing, um, realizing that the workouts that I've been doing were only putting even more stress on my body and having to, you know, I mean, I tell everyone that I am the queen of sleep hygiene, like talk to me <laughs> about my sleep hygiene. Like I, she is, do not she mess has got a bedtime sleep. and it's for, it's legit. Mm-hmm. Like for real, mm-hmm. don't even, if people get like a Marco Polo or a text from me past like 8 PM, they're like, what is happening? Because I'm crazy. Um, But starting to wake up in the middle of the night, not being able to go back to sleep and heart racing and feeling like I have an elephant on my chest. And um, which of course is a panic attack. And when my doctor told me that I was like, I don't have panic attacks. That's hilarious. Right? Like, And I think it all, it all really boils down to kind of what we were talking about earlier. And that is that I think that we are, we become masters of masking what we're actually going through. And I don't think we do it on purpose. Like I've been told so many times by people, like you do so much and you're, you know, you're so successful and you do so many things. And I tell them all the time, like, you don't see the mess behind the scenes, like, okay, I'm getting this stuff done, but I'm like, just trying to keep my life glued together at this point. Um, because we don't like, I'm not getting on Facebook to have a panic attack, right? Like I'm not getting on Instagram stories in the middle of a panic attack. And so people kind of think that we have it Mm -hmm. all together and that we can manage. And the problem with that is that then we have lived this highly stressed life for a very significant, you know, period of time. And personally, you know, I got on our stories talking about it the other day because I think the majority of the moms who listen to our podcast are probably in the preemptive stages Mm -hmm. to what I'm dealing with right now. And I'm at a point now where my cortisol levels are flatlined. Like they're not even up here anymore. They were up high for so long that they are now tanked, um, in just trying to figure out sort of how to put it all back together. And, learning to take time for me. And I've been trying to go on walks every single day to get in the sun, you know, for vitamin D and for, you know, just all the other purposes and getting into somatic stretching and, you know, breathing techniques. And this, I am a girl who like, I'm like yoga. (laughs) No, like, no, I, I like lifting heavy things. I like, you know, so it's completely out of my comfort zone, but just trying to talk to our audience about how to catch it before it gets to this, like, how do we, how do we address it? How do we realize I, you know, I told the girls, I had a total meltdown with my family, you know, a week ago where I was just like, I need help. And I think part of it is, um, you know my husband is wonderful and he's like oh you all you have to do is ask like if you need me to pick up Gracie i'll get Gracie like if you need me to do all these things and i had to explain to him that it's not logistics it is everything else that is on my shoulders it's all the emotions it's all of the stress it's you know like Oh, you may take her to the doctor, right? But then I'm still stressed about the doctor's appointment and what goes on, and scheduling the next one, and what's the next referral, and now we need to see a psychiatrist. And now, you know, so, um, how do we help our community members to where we're not at the point of you know adrenal fatigue and losing our minds on our family members? (laughs) No, how do we? You know, I um,
0: there's a well something that you said that was really profound. The other day, just the way you said it. And I don't know if we can, if it can be reiterated the same way, but you said it to us is that what you've taken notice of is that, and it wasn't you blaming, it was that when these things come up, like when things are, when you're going through this season or having episodes, even if they're minor or maybe an indication of an episode that. You are noticing that this is coming and showing up in your body.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that's that's i that resonated with me hugely when you when you said that because I felt that felt the same thing because I kind of felt like a little bit of some coasting. Like I was able to kind of coast for a while with Rory, you know, for and i'm that's I use that very lighthearted, like very loosely, yeah. like that's. <laughs> we're we're not really ghosting here especially not in my life but not right now not for sure um, but i think I, I it then coincided and it looped into i watched the unseen doc yesterday and what they were saying and there were there were healthcare professionals on this doc um that said that we aren't being primed and preened as a society To even be looking for, because we, us, the kind of parents we are, we are more susceptible to impaired healthcare challenges much, much earlier on than what is the trajectory of a normal chronology timeline of a typically developing human. And so when, you know, a 30 year old parent is coming in and they're experiencing, you know, maybe they're having a heart attack, which some have. You know, or they're experiencing thyroid issues, or they're experiencing other things going on with their mental health, or they're experiencing pain in their joints, you know, at such young ages. They're like, oh no, this, we're not even going to look into this because they're, they're not, they're,
2: you're too Mm -hmm. young for this because they're not. My primary mm -hmm. care doctor did that at 37. mm -hmm. He wouldn't test my hormone levels because I wasn't right. Yeah, they're not. So I should be just be totally exactly. Fine.
0: And so the healthcare industry is totally not wired to think about the anatomy of what it is to be the kind of parents we are. Things are happening to us at a much sooner, t- um, age and the timeline and time span of things than they are, um, a, a typically typical parent. I mean, it just that's just the, tr- the truth of the matter, yeah. and I think from the time that I recognized that I needed to come up with my own self-care plans and I am not killing it like at all. Okay. <laughs> I have self-sabotaging behaviors. I go back on my, all my plans. But the thing is, is that when you've had some of those habits already established, it's, it's kind of easier to reinstitute them when you can um, cause there's you're kind of wired for it, but it still is really hard and it can feel like uh, I, I've noticed myself like this past year starting somehow in like may or june that i um i was going more into freeze mode and becoming withdrawn and like complacent kind of like and that's not me at all and that was really odd i've never i've never been that parent i've never been that person i've never been that woman i'm never none of it and i'm that was very alarming mm-hmm. to me um Trying to get parents to understand to identify that those types of things, if you don't, if you aren't currently either paired up with a mentor or another peer or another parent that's having these same or similar lived experiences, or you don't have healthcare professionals or a team of any kind of mental health professionals kind of around you to I'd be able to identify that, that this is what's going on. Like, can you imagine what the disparity is?
1: For those families. Yeah. Like, well, thank you guys both so much for sharing your stories so openly and, you know, what you're experiencing because I think it shines a light onto this. And what I noticed in both of your stories is you guys were describing these indicators that are there. And it's really easy, again, being in doing mode to just ignore those or be like, oh, I don't have time to deal with those right now. Or, oh, that wasn't anything. Like, you know, minimizing them. But those are those indicators that are like, you know, I I describe it this way. So it's like driving a car, right? And your gas light comes on. And it's like, oh, yep, it's there. I still know. And I've done this literally in my car. Like, oh, I know. I I still got some good miles. We'll keep going. And I've even seen it hit zero before. And I'm like, okay, I know I need to get somewhere, but I know I'm not going to run out right at this second either. Like it's almost like playing this game of like, okay, how much longer can I ignore it for? But if we use some of these indicators as that gaslight coming on and being like, whoa, it's time to pull over and not keep playing this game. And really, you know, when we're getting down to half to a quarter of a tank being able to start to notice those cues but I want to emphasize that noticing those cues you have to have awareness and that's where this conversation is so powerful is even bringing light to this it's start of that the start of that awareness process but then I think we also you know, have to realize it's a skill that you have to practice over and over again to start to notice. And I share this not from this even place as a mental health professional. I share this personally myself. What's really interesting is, you know, I, for so long – have always been like, well, autism's my brother's story. It's not my story. Um, And, you know, even as a professional, I would talk with it about my my family's experience when appropriate one-to-one with families, but I never talked about it publicly because I wasn't sure what my brother would think of it and what my parents would think of it. And I, you know, I ended up starting therapy and I was actually resistant to starting therapy if I'm going to be completely truthful because I I know the DSM-5 criteria and I'm going, well, I'm not meeting any of the criteria here. Why do I need therapy? So I tried coaching and that was, I will say, it was super, super helpful. But finally I was like, you know what? I'm going to try therapy. And there were other like little indicators of doing things that Realizing, you know, and I've had very open conversations on, you know, even on my podcast. I talked about this. I had my mom come onto the podcast to talk about this as well. But you know,
2: one of was my it? favorite episodes, by the way. I love Oh, thank you. It you was really
1: spe- special.
2: It was so good. Okay. We'll <laughs> well, link thank it. you. We'll link it in
1: um, case. but realizing that, like, you know, I might not meet criteria for PTSD, and I don't think I don't have all the symptoms, but I still had trauma. So sometimes we think of PTSD as what we call big T trauma. You know, I had what was called little t trauma. It's still there, it's still impacting me, it's impacting how I'm showing up. And being able to, you know, rework that and rewire it has been super helpful, realizing by nature, even since i was a little kid well before my brother was born i've always been a helper i that's been my whole identity i'm re- I, not to toot my own horn but i'm good at it that's why i'm in this field and you know i think But then I really stepped into that role as a sibling too and learning how to, you know, give space to process through that. So I think it's learning these indicators, but I also wanted to share that because I'm sure there's parents that are like, no, 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 this isn't bad enough, you know, like you don't have to meet criteria to go to therapy or to get support to start working on this. I mean, Shannon, you talking about looking, working with a naturopathic doctor, like I've been doing something similar, looking at my blood levels and all of that, you know, there There's ways that you can support yourself without ever meeting a PTSD criteria diagnosis. I agree with that.
2: And I thought it was really, you know, the episode that you had with your mom, you, towards the end, you, I love how you brought it back because you kept Mm -hmm. asking her about her and she kept turning it around to talk about your brother. And you even pointed that out to her and she sort of laughed a little bit, you know, but, um, I think that's that's what we do and we do it mm-hmm. because we love our children. Like you said, like they're they're the absolute top priority, but like, you know, the past few weeks has just been very eye-opening to me that if like I can't function at a good level, mm-hmm. I am useless. Like I am literally useless and I've been into health and fitness and nutrition, you know, for 10 and a half years now. Like this is nothing new to me. Um, and for me, it was always like, Oh, well, you know, working out, working out is my therapy, which I mean, it is a huge stress reliever yep. for me. Um, but it can also be a place to mask and forget what you're going through yeah. instead of processing what you're going through. Um, And we use a lot of things. We use online shopping. We use, you know, scrolling social media. We use working out. We use, there's all of these things that we use to mask the problem instead of processing the problem. Um, And I think that that is where someone like you comes in, you know, who really, you've lived it, you understand it. And then it's so hard, like Jean said, trying to find, you know, a psychologist or a family counselor who does have the background Mm -hmm. in living this
0: life. I think it's also, so dopamine is obviously a big part of that. Right. So like Mm -hmm. those, even if you were, that's a good example of like, even if you're using healthy dopamine things, it's still not enough to counter what's going on and mask. What's going on. I think that is profound because I follow so many neuroscientists um, that talk about, again, our, You know, balancing and finding our healthy hormones, and 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 focusing on on healthy activities in our lives that are going to give us those boosts versus you know and and finding replacement behaviors, basically. You know, and and mind you, another thing that I struggle with so much so is so much that is in that kind of and I'll just kind of be like personal development, mental health field again doesn't have the lens or understanding of the type of parents that we are. And that's a missing link. That's a gap that needs to be filled. Um Hint, hint, wink, wink, mm-hmm. Shannon, that might be your next thing. <laughs> Mine too. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like I've been as a developing constantly thinking about how I'm curating, like being a mentor and really what's going to help families. What I've always struggled with, because Shannon and I both geek out about personal development. I find that they're grand and they're great, but it doesn't universally apply to us. And it, it actually dismisses the nuance of what's going on in our lives. And that kind of has to be configured in it. And I think, and Shannon's a very good communicator too. So like she herself, when she's talking about herself and her own self-awareness, like she can like break a lot of that down. She can dismantle that she can take, what it is that she may be hearing from this coach or another coach and being like, okay, this is how I'm going to scale it to my life. But to parents like us who are mental load and at, at large is already so compromised by everything that we're juggling. It's like, that's just another thing to do to try to kind of figure out. And it's like trying to tap into a direct resource that, that can serve that. And I'm glad that you touched on the, on the sibling aspect of it. One thing I wanted to point out that I thought, was also very, um, reminded me of myself. And then our other co-host, Brittany, is that one of our coping mechanisms is that we intellectualize everything. Yep. (laughs) So it's like, that's kind of like our first defense is like, you know, I'm just, I'm going to read a lot and I'm going to research. And um, then we're going to have a a very intellectual conversation about this. And it kind of keeps it like that's over there and this is over Mm -hmm. here almost kind of keeps it compartmentalized. And that is one of the things that I feel like we get advised to do, like in Peter Wright's books about like advocacy over emotions, you know, um, this is it, who's a famous for those that aren't that know that are listening, that's a famous, you know, lawyer in the, in the special ed, um, uh, lane and kind of like kind of one of the first trailblazers, to be quite honest, in the legal field. So he's written books. He has a whole – him and his wife have had a platform, very big experts in this field. Um, and that was what my legal advocate had re- recommended to me. She's like, Mrs. Mayor, you need to read that book.
1: I had a very hard time reading Yeah, that. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's really interesting on this conversation. Um, My therapist said to me, she's like – Taylor, do you notice how you always have to do something to regulate your emotions? And I was like, that was mind-blowing for me. She's like – because I was even talking – I work out too, Shannon. Like that's one of my – I mean – that's why I work out is like it is a regulatory coping mechanism. I enjoy it. But even sometimes on walks, I'm like, yeah, like I can feel my body regulating. I get great ideas. I get inspired when I'm walking. She's like, right, but you're even doing something there. like, And realizing that exactly what you guys are saying that I had to – and it's still a process and I talk about this a lot – retrain my body to sit in stillness um and actually because when I sit in stillness what happens is then I can start to really process through some of the emotions and also one of the things that I learned through therapy so, I was trained in a program that largely uses CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, which can be very beneficial, but it also can be very intellectual too. And so I knew all these strategies to regulate my emotions and like could work myself through it, but I was never fully embracing and processing and experiencing my emotions. And so I share that because I think that is a huge, huge difference. You know, like, yes, these strategies are helpful, but actually, Actually, allowing yourself to experience the emotions, it's going to feel not fun doing this. And this is where I recommend working with someone that can support you through this. But that's going to be incredibly, incredibly important. And even in diagnostic feedback, that's something I like standardly say to families, no matter what sort of reaction they have to the diagnosis is, I want you to be prepared the emotions that are going to come with this and that you need to give yourself space to process these emotions. Because again, and I I describe action mode is probably going to kick in. You're going to say, I don't have time for this. Um, But it is so incredibly important for our own nervous system. And actually, it's an incredibly important for your child's autistic nervous system too because what we don't realize a lot of autistic children are hyper in tune to their environment and so when we think about energy they're picking up on it even if you are not saying that saying what's going on or talking or doing things and I don't share that you know as a way to like Make you feel bad about it, but also to realize that this idea of "quote unquote" self care, it ju- it's just as much for your autistic child as it is for you.
0: Oh my god, mm-hmm. I'm so glad you brought that up too because that's so on point. And I have to tell you, that'll be part of yeah. But I'll, I'll, I'll segue. Into, <laughs> I know we right? could talk segue for segue forever. Into, I know. Oh, I'm I'm know, I know. I know. But changing. like, I I will. I um. Seg- when we segue into like doing our peak of the week, so you know every every episode we share a highlight, whether it's personally, professionally, about our kids, whatever. Um, so I will share my peak, and it was this morning, and it might have also actually be a pitfall. It actually might be like it's both. It's not one or the other. It's both. it's not mutually exclusive. That's life. <laughs> um, I was frustrated with Rory. He was asking me to do something like on demand. And I was in the middle of doing something else for him. And I was responding very curtly and kind of like you know, inflection and and any his things will be like, Oh, mommy's angry. Well, instead of saying I was angry, he said, looked at me and stopped and said, Deep breaths. This oh, look at is a child that again, he has language now, but is still not fluently verbal and has he has a severe articulation disorder where it it's miles from where we started when he was completely non-speaking but like for my 10 year old son to look at me and say that it stopped me dead in my Aww. tracks and I was like yeah oh my gosh I'm like "Gene, you need to get it together and I'm just looking around going like but who's gonna do it Like I'm a single mom right now going through a divorce. I don't have it. And yesterday, like, you know, I'm subject to, you know, dad doesn't show up or he doesn't do something or whatever. Like I have to somehow either, I'm either compelled to compensate, but I even said yesterday, I was like, I can't compensate because it's not sustainable. I can't compensate for where he misses either. So I think I was feeling a lot of that in my body. And so I'm, I'm highly irritable right now. Like in not a good way so again like the peak is is that my son is becoming very very emotionally intelligent for an autistic child and and identifying that in me and saying deep breaths i just couldn't believe it i was floored so
1: i love that uh,
2: That, that's awesome (laughs) who would like to go
1: next Sure. I mean, this might sound cliche, but I think being able to be on this platform with you guys today really is such a highlight. I love being able to have these deep conversations. You know, reach more parents. I literally, I remember finding your podcast and being like one day, I am going to be on that podcast. Like, I just was so blown away. And I was like, this is happening. And finally, you know, I just was like, I'm pitching myself. for doing it, you know? And thank you guys for being so receptive and all of it. This has been Awesome. And I just I love the work that you guys do and how real this conversation got to be because it would have been so easy to keep it pretty surface level today of like, yes, you could experience this, but you guys were so willing to openly share, you know, what your personal experiences are like. And I think this is what more conversations need to be like. So being able to be part of this today, really, it truly means a lot. So thank you.
2: Well, we're just so happy you're here. I'm just trying. to I'll come out how back. Already, it's going in my. It's it's going to happen. <laughs> I'm already... We're going to get
0: a lot of questions. I can tell you that the most question like, mm-hmm. we when we had the inclusive educator on, we got a lot of questions and feedback for having to continue that conversation. And so, mm-hmm. these conversations. I think this conversation is going to really matter to these families because mm-hmm. again I, I there's a lot of families from our community that come over to my page or my platform and are reaching out to me and having these conversations and i know the primary focus that they're trying to work on is how to take care of myself realizing that they're completely neglecting themselves and not recognizing what's going on in yeah. their body
2: or if they're anything like me they're not completely neglecting themselves like i still thought i was doing all the things i'm like I get eight hours of sleep a night. I work out six. I'm the you know, poster days child leave. of health. I eat well, eighty percent of the time, you know. And then you look at what causes adrenal right. fatigue, and then there's the stress. mental load. Manage your stress, and I'm yeah. oh, I'm really bad at that. Yeah, <laughs> so that's the problem, right? Is that we think we're doing it, and then we're not. That's me. Um, my peak of the week um, is that. In the chaos, finding light. Um, you know, Gracie, we've been struggling a lot lately. And I feel like Gracie goes in waves. And I've said this on the podcast. Everybody's like, you know, Shannon, Gracie goes in waves. Um, and we were in a real tough one and trying to adjust some medication, you know, to, to help her. And it's the last four weeks have been a struggle. And I have noticed also that my anxiety is very tied to those times where she is struggling because we all understand how hard it is to see our children struggle. Um, It's not the wish for a perfect child. It's not the wish for perfect behavior. It's Mm -hmm. just wanting her to feel good in her skin, you know? And, um, Jay and I looked at each other the other day, we were sitting on the couch and, um, he says, man, she's really been hearing us well the last week. And I looked at him and I was like, I know, like the connection is there. It's not just like her following a demand, right? It's just like the connection and some of the things that we're saying to her just seem better. And I looked at him and I said, do you are you recognizing that that always seems to come after one of these really hard periods? And he's like, yeah. And Jay and I do not agree <laughs> on a lot of things <laughs> we, we do and we don't, but, um, but just that moment of, you know what, like the last month, it's been really hard and I'm not sleeping and I have anxiety and I'm a mess. Um, but just those moments of just feeling so connected and realizing that, okay, in the chaos, in the noise, in the hard, like we will, there's always that other side. There's always something on the other side of all of that to look forward to. Um, that doesn't mean we're not going to have another one. We go in waves. <laughs> there's going to be another one. But just that moment, you know, just looking at her and looking at him and being like, we're all Like we're all here. We're all here on the same page. Well, we are
0: lifers. There is no end in sight for us. Yeah, and that's also a different type of life and a different type Mm -hmm. of—I don't know. It's just a different mindset. It's not the same mindset Mm -hmm. where it's like you transition your kid off to college into adulthood, even if they are not and experiencing failure to launch in their lives. They're still. Mm -hmm different levels of autonomy and you are not their guardian and there's a lot of things that you don't need to look out for so it's like mm-hmm. we know it's sort of this reaffirming um identity it's almost like it does become a part of our identity a little bit like mm-hmm. because and we never knew life would be like this you know, again why we created this mm-hmm. podcast we created this podcast because we needed this we needed this when we started on our journey we've needed it along our journey we do, we still have each other. Like we do this for mm-hmm. everyone else, but by, by doing this for everyone else, we are helping ourselves for sure. hundred mm-hmm. percent, because it has to keep us aware. We can't continue to yeah. engage in this kind of work and these conversations. If, if we are not personally being self-aware and also helping each other be aware, there's many things that y'all pointed out to me, or we've pointed out to each other that may have not either been on our, on our radar or not really recognized or not willing to recognize mm-hmm. that there's a, I mean, I know myself, that lack of, I really identified with what you were saying, Dr. Tay, about like our own lack of reception. I definitely struggle with that at times, even if I'm like, mm, I do see it, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> <Mm-mm>. <laughs> um, but this is awesome. And this relationship will continue. No, un, undoubtedly, and I know that we'll continue these level of conversations for sure. Um, I'm excited to hear, you know, how like all of our, you know, our listeners out there really do receive this information if they find it to be pie. I hope I can't even wait to re-listen to it, to be quite honest. Not that I want to hear myself, <laughs> but I want to hear the meats of our discussions. I know I'll get more out of it. Um, so Doctor, where, how can people find you
1: online or, or? How do they locate yeah. you? Yeah, I mean, I'm really active on social media. So, I mean, Instagram's a great place. Instagram and TikTok. It's the uh, Dr. Tay with periods in between. Um, Dr. Dr. Um, also, if people are interested about learning about clinical services, they can go to my website, which is DrTaylorDay.com. Um, You can schedule a free consult call to chat, see if you know I could be a good fit to support your family, um, or you also are well. Welcome to email admin at drtaylorday.com if you have any questions. And you did say in the case that obviously you
0: weren't able to accept them in their caseload. You, I think you had said, and I, and this has been my previous experience with clinicians, you're kind of like roped into tied yeah. to other clinicians and like other
1: states, other locations. Um, and other services, if if that would come. absolutely. And you know, just to be forthcoming, is practicing in all these states in the way that I've designed my practice. It is a concierge practice, so I don't take health insurance. Um, and so that's something too. If you need to use it, you need a resource. I can try to help you. You know, navigate if that's something as well. I can't promise that. I will say there. Um, Unfortunately, because of how health insurance works, I think a lot of clinicians have moved away from that, which I know does not make things accessible for families, but trying to do what I can. And I will say in the the nearish future, I'm also hoping to make courses too that, you know, are more affordable and accessible so parents can learn the information, you know, and have these like conversations and more in-depth strategies to be able to support them and their families.
0: And that's a perfect um, tie-in to, to actually indicate. And so when I always tell people, you know, again, if, they are trying to find those kind of resources, trying to, um, if, if they are and it's adamant that they need to go the pathway of, of channeling health, health insurance, One, some things to look at is the at-large parent-to-parent organization. I work for the Texas chapter, serve in the Texas chapter, the ARC. There's local chapters, state-to-state, Easter Seals. Those are just to name the major, some major three. There's other ones. There's many. There's Family Voices um, organization, if there's not a parent-to-parent. And one place I know that they have had professionals like yourself that geared to supporting families like ours are through the children's hospitals. So, like, if you have a children's hospital in your area, um, that can be a resource for you of maybe trying to, as a starting point if you again, you need that in person or you need to look at, go exam, you know, to, to go the pathway of, of health insurance. Yeah. I always like to make sure, you know, there's a myriad of resources, but for, you know, for me sometimes again, like the relationship and being able to dial right in to someone and not have to, go through all those hoops of right. bureaucracy um, is also a really nice thing. And it can alleviate a lot of stress because those are just adding to the pile of stress. But just so people yeah. know, this experience out there.
1: I will say real um, quick, it was so, um, also, okay. if you want to navigate those or you're trying to find a provider, um, why don't I give you guys the link for my free resource too that talks about how you can find a neurodivergent affirming provider that's really going to Provide you know more of this support and just not come from this mindset of like oh we're just trying to cure autism um and you know some of our conversation today Thank so I think that could be a that. good resource for families yeah. too
2: yes and we didn't really elaborate yeah email on that. us the link yeah email us on the okay. link because I'll put those in the show notes too and in the email we send out okay, an email perfect. every week I'll make sure it's yeah all that on there. would be awesome because we didn't really tie
0: into that And I like that you actually had mentioned that because that's super important and mm-hmm. many of our I would even say I'll just say podcast partners, other guests that we've had on the show. Um, that's part of, very much part of their platform, and whether they're clinicians or they're educators, that is that is their headspace, that is their mindset, that is yeah. our mindset, and we are hungry for more tools in our tool belt for for people like you. So thank you so much Absolutely. for saying that. Um, thank you so much yeah. for being on with us today. This is so so thank awesome. Um, so thrilled and so grateful. Uh so to find us, for those that may not be familiar, you know where you can find us at moms talk autism on Instagram. We also have a website, momstalkautism.com. Um, in there you can directly dial into our, our podcast episodes if you don't if you're not already dialed into a other podcast player. Um uh, but we also have a merch shop. Um so make sure that you go in and you access that if you're looking for any mom's talk autism, because you asked for it we, you asked for it and (laughs) we made ourselves rise to the occasion. Um, and it is evolution and progress. a continuous evolution and progress, but we had to start somewhere. So thank you for everyone listening in and we hope you deep find deep value in, in the content provided today. And you are able to connect with Dr. Tay. She's amazing. Um, and, uh, take care of yourself. Seriously. Even do one thing for yourself today. That's your call to action. That was very small Mm -hmm. thing. At least do one thing for us. If you listen to this episode, (laughs) that is your homework. So thank you. Take care. Talk soon. Bye. Bye, guys.